my friend was getting a tattoo and I was killing time walking around Glasgow and I stumbled into the Glasgow Museum of Art and they had a library downstairs and I started reading it and I got like 50 pages in and I was like, I need to read this book and I never had the opportunity to until now and I'm so glad that I finally finished it. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna, and with me today is Ella Kopakin to talk about the book and the movie Killers of the Flower Moon. We are so excited to talk about this book as it's a recent movie release that has generated a lot of buzz, and the book did not disappoint And if you know Ella and I and have listened to many episodes of the podcast before this, you know that we are a sucker for a journalistic deep dive into um, America's deep, dark history. So we absolutely love this book. And the movie, being three hours long, also did not disappoint. So please join us in this lovely conversation talking about Killers of the Flower Moon And I won't take up too much of your time because this is a long one. So please bear with us, um, hang in there, because it is a really, really interesting conversation. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. recording of the year uh oh i'm exhausted (laughs) i'm exhausted what a book to end on too (laughs) oh my god you guys i just want to start this by saying like there are certain books on this show where it's just so peak me that like even i'm memeing myself and i read this book and i was like yeah, so this ticks all my boxes. Like, I was just so happy to be reading it the entire time. I was like, oh, so this is the best book I've ever read. Like, okay. <laughs> I was just so happy. It's uh, it's so good. I will start this episode by saying this was the most research I've ever done for an episode. Uh, oh, yeah. No, 100%. I mean, I like... Yes, I, I I felt like there's so much you want to touch on, and so you have to really boil it down to like a few things that you're going to talk about, um, and even that, like, who knows? This might be a four hour long episode uh, by the end of it. But hey, we're here. And I guess the <laughs> I guess the question is like how much we really want to get into because obviously this is our adaptation book, so it's like how much we really want to get into movie versus book because I have some shit to say. <laughs> Well, we'll get into it. So we'll I guess get into it, it. Instead of skirting around, uh, this week we read Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. And yes. we also watched the movie, the 2023 adaptation by Martin Scorsese. Um, and when I so- tell you that I went into a movie theater by myself at 8 p.m. with three different sweaters to use as blankets, <laughs> and I had the time of my damn life okay Mm -hmm. it was me and a like 45 year old man just alone (laughs) in the movie theater just hanging out watching killers Uh, of our moon i love that so much we saw it on a tuesday evening at cinebistro so we got we got a full dinner drink popcorn the Mm. whole shebang um Mm. the reclining seats it's just we made a whole night out of it and 
I think it was us and then then one other couple and then one single woman. And I was like, this is it. This is where yep. it's at. Champions <laughs> were made here. <laughs> um, what are we drinking? I was about to say, what are we drinking? I am drinking a, um, excuse me, my <laughs> back machine just went off. I have a, a back issues right now because I'm so stressy. And uh, so you'll just hear me casually beeping sometimes <laughs> while I turn my vibration for my back on again. Um, I am drinking Carbock Brewing, uh, a hazy IPA called Rodeo Clown. I am re- I am drinking a um, it's a Belle Isle Moonshine pre-made cocktail, uh, old fashioned. So it's an old fashioned made with um, moonshine. It also has glitter in it. Whoa. I don't think the glitter adds much, but it's kind of fun. Looks cool. How is, um, I feel like I don't have a lot of experience with moonshine. How is moonshine relative to other alcohols, in your opinion? Um, I mean, the only, I don't have a whole lot of experience with moonshine. The but company, Belle Isle, is based out of uh, Richmond, and they make kind of flavored uh, moonshine because moonshine acts mostly just like a vodka it's not very like mm. taste forward um because it's pretty just burn <laughs> is the flavor <laughs> so the flavor is burn <laughs> so they just add like a bunch of fun flavors to it but i don't know i like it sick i don't have any qualms yeah. sick um <laughs> excellent well moonshine and beer feels appropriate for what we're about to dive into I- I was about to say, this is it. Well, I'm so excited about my quick facts. Again, I dove so deep. Go. Um, Go forth. Here we go. So book. Let's start with the book. Published in 2017. Has a 4.2 out of 5 on Goodreads. So really freaking good on Goodreads. Um, It was a nonfiction finalist for the 2017 National Book Awards. It was the winner of the Edgar Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best True Crime Book. Um, And then the David Gran, so the writer, he is a staff writer at The New Yorker. Um, He is the best-selling author of uh, The Lost City of Z, which is like another really popular, popularly known book that he has written. It was chosen as one of the best books of the year by the New York Times, Washington Post, other publications. Um, and he also wrote The Devil in Sherlock Holmes, um, another popular book that has ga- garnered some awards. He has so many honors <laughs> for like outstanding journalism, outstanding writer, just so many awards. Um, he even won the George Polk Award, which is uh, an award for journalists. So he... Um, He's just like a, he's just a cool dude. He, he spent a shit. year, yeah, spent a year in Mexico just like writing um, and researching after college. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and the movie, so this movie, uh, the adaptation was released this year, 2023, and it has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Blow it out of the water. Marty um, coming it- in, <laughs> coming in <laughs> hot. <laughs> With his little cameo at the end. <laughs> well, he has a cameo in every single one of his movies. That's his thing. Wait. Yeah, he's like um, Stan Lee. And, oh, and Hitchcock. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> all the great directors. St- Stan Lee, Hitchcock, and <laughs> Martin, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> you can watch this movie in theaters, or it will be coming soon to Apple TV+. 
Again, like we've mentioned, it is directed by Martin Scorsese and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, Robert De Niro, and Jesse Plemons, among many, many others. Um, and Jesse oh, and Plemons, have, aka Mrs. K- or Mr. Kirsten Dunst. And of course, Brandon Fraser. Can't forget. Oh yeah, Brandon Fraser, and we had oh, and John Lithgow in a in a cameo performance. I feel like yeah. there were a lot of cameos in this, but I think there I were. missed a lot of them. Yeah. They came in yeah, they came like punchy. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was and then it's like gone. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, those are my quick facts. So shall we dive into some Shall plot? we? Oh, let's please. So uh, this is the gist pulling from the back of the book. Uh talks about a lot of other things but here's the gist so 1920s the richest people per capita in the world were members of the osage nation in oklahoma after oil was discovered beneath their land the osage rode in chauffeured automobiles built mansions and sent their children to study in europe then one by one the osage began to be killed off the family of an osage woman molly burkhart became the prime target One of her relatives was shot, another was poisoned, and this was just the beginning as more and more Osage were dying under mysterious circumstances, and many of those who dared to investigate the killings were themselves murdered. As the death toll rose, the newly created FBI took up the case, and the young director, J. Edgar Hoover, turned to a former Texas Ranger named Tom White to try to unravel the mystery. White put together an an undercover team, including a Native American agent who infiltrated the region and together with the Osage began to expose one of the most chilling conspiracies in American history. Ooh. (laughs) I know. I think my mom said this best. My mom was like, oh, so this is like a a made-up family? And I was like, no, no, no. All of this is real. And she was like, whoa. And I was like, yes, correct. Yes. Yeah. I, so in short, this uh, this book and it also the movie really covers what it's known as the reign of terror um, in a span of, a you know, what, uh, a seven years, eight years. Yeah, something like that. I think uh, something like that. But uh, where uh, there were a lot of killings and all of them um, somehow connected to uh, William Hale, the king of the Osage Hills. Oh, um, and we d- we do give a spoiler warning at the beginning of this, so sorry oh, yeah. if that's news. Spoiler. <laughs> sorry, spoiler. Um, <laughs> you guys know the drill at this point. Sorry. Yeah. And al- also, if you watch the movie, they give it a- like they. That's yeah. No. No. The no. Differences we'll talk about. But, My um, main qualm, actually. But go on. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, you have all these murders, and then um, they call it the Reign of Terror because all these murders are happening back to back to back in order for these white men to obtain the head rights of the Osage people. I mean, it's it's a horrifying book about white greed and mm-hmm. just, like, how people have been destroyed by... I truly nothing other than a desire for money and supremacy. It's so scary. And so chilling. I think I was even talking with Casey about this in the car after the movie, how isolated it was there where like you could take someone out to the middle of nowhere and drink moonshine with them. And then all of a sudden shoot them in the head and be like, okay, bye. And nobody hears anything. Nobody sees anything. And like, you could just pass it off. 
And I mean, I I think like it's such a testament, to, and clearly David Grant has the qualification. It makes sense why he is such a good author because I think like the other person who we've read on this show who's very similar, I think, is Krakauer, John Krakauer, and just the thorough research that David Grant does, but also his ability to create such stunning narrative and use such poetic language to describe these very real atrocities it's such a hard combination to strike and when you are able to do that and convey a mystery thriller with real life terror with like romantic description of the american west like there's just so much going on in this book and he does it all with such grace and masterfully that I'm just like, how, how, how did you do this? It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, let, let's name some of our characters before we get into it because yes. we're going to be touching on a lot. So let's give yes, us, a, let's give our listeners a lay of the land. So we have our main protagonist, so to say, of a nonfiction novel, um, which is Molly Burkhart and yes. her, uh, she has three sisters, Anna, Rita, and Minnie. And then her mother is Lizzie. And they're all Osage people um, with lots of money, lots of land, lots of oil. And then she marries this man, this white man named Ernest Burkhart, who had come to Oklahoma because his uncle, William Hale, a.k.a. King, a.k.a. the King of the Osage Hills. Um, <laughs> you gotta love being called King on a King. daily basis. Casual I- nickname. <laughs> I read like a review that was like King, which really plays into like, um, you know, like how big he thought of himself. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's so yes. true. Way to way to casually mention the biggest metaphor in the book, sir. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, you have Bill Smith, who was first married to Minnie, one of Molly's Molly's youngest sister, and then Minnie died of some um, health complications, and then uh, he remarried her older sister, Rita. And Tom White uh, is our FBI investigator, who, again, was overseen by the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, who um, really just form, uh, formed this federal... Uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Of investigation. (laughs) Famously one of the worst people in American history. Yeah. Famously, like, uh, yeah, wow. What what an awful person. (laughs) And we can get more into uh, the Texas Rangers and J. Edgar Hoover in our pairings because, boy, do I have a good pairing. Oh, I know. And then Henry Roan and Charles Whitehorn are just two of the many Osage people who also died in suspicious deaths that were both linked back to Hale. Um, So we have many other characters who come in and out of this, but those are kind of our main players. Yeah, I would say that maybe... Sorry, Blackie Thompson, who Mm. uh, identifies... Ends up being kind of like the nail in the coffin for Ernest Burkhart... And yep. William Hale, and then Morrison. Um, Morrison, yeah, Morrison, and there, there are a couple of other players within that who kind of end up leading to Hale getting caught. But those are like the main players. Yeah. So, okay, one thing I did want to start with is yeah. I am 
I am a huge proponent of reading the book before seeing the movie. Like I am like yes. a big player with that. This so happened that it was going out of theaters and I didn't have enough time to read <laughs> the book before I saw it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm, I, I was like, I can't speed read this book. <laughs> you can't speed read it. It's just not possible. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to see, I'm just going to watch the movie. I will say it added so much to the experience of reading mm. this book because I knew the players. Mm-hmm. I knew like how everything was connected and intertwined. You do miss out on the like jaw dropping. Oh, it was him. Mm-hmm. moment so I will say I missed that but it did give me a lot of context and then being able to like dive deeper into each character without feeling super lost among the sea of people um which sometimes would happen in a book like this I was like oh this was actually very nice <laughs> I really like doing this yeah I will say that for a book like this it's I actually found this um with inherent vice too which is a very different book it's like mm. a hippie detective novel but for books that are super character heavy having a movie to accompany it can be really helpful if you're a person who struggles with balancing all the names in your head and obviously if you don't have a visualized image for everybody it's super helpful I totally agree with that I actually managed to read the last page the night I was going to see the movie so I like just (laughs) got it in the nick of time and I think I think it did help me contextualize more for what Scorsese was going for. But, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this off the bat or if we just want to talk book first. But I think, like, a key distinction just going into this conversation is, at least for me, what I liked so much about the book was Molly was the central character, And Mm -hmm. Molly felt very much like the driving force for so much. And I also really appreciated how much context you got in the book for the backstory of Tom White and how Mm. kind of this, this person who was very difficult to decipher whether he was a good guy or a bad guy because he wasn't really either, but he did his Mm -hmm. job in this case. And I felt that the movie by centering Hale so much and being determined to tell you it was Hale from the beginning and thereby by centering Ernest as the main character really lost out on, I don't know, just for me, what what ultimately are the two more interesting characters in Molly and Tom. So mm-hmm. I, I, I loved the movie a lot. I thought that there was a lot that the movie gave you in terms of emotion but I think, like, as we start to talk more about this, the, my favorite parts of the book so, revolved around two characters that ultimately got a little bit sidelined, I felt, in the mm-hmm. movie. And, yeah, I don't know. I just – I left kind of disappointed in that one regard. I don't know if I was disappointed in it because I think the movie just chose to honor more of the relationship of – Ernest and Molly, which I actually read in one of the, uh, like, in one of the reviews that um, they decided to focus on the love story between Ernest and Molly because of Margie Burkhart, the granddaughter 
Mm-hmm. Um, she like worked really closely with Scorsese on this, and she was like, "I think it should central, like, I think it should be centered on their marriage and their love story." Mm-hmm. Um, so after reading that, I was like, "That makes sense." I mean, like, yeah, if you know, if that's like what we want to center it around, I get it. I do think like by reading the book and by reading, I agree. The whole part with like Tom White and diving into the history of the Texas Rangers and like diving into the history of how he went from there to the FBI and how his brothers and like his whole backstory I think is really interesting I don't know like in the narrative that Scorsese was trying to tell in the movie I think it would have been lost oh I agree like it would have been forced and so I like I miss it in a way, but I don't miss it in the movie, if that makes sense. No, I agree. I think that, um, I mean, first of all, again, just going back to David Grant's ability to hold so many things at once, the fact that this book is only 300 and something pages and covers- 300 even. 300 even, like, and covers so much is nuts. It is nuts. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I agree with you. The movie, the movie, it wouldn't have made sense for us to suddenly go into Tom White because mm-hmm. he, for all intents and purposes, through the eyes of Molly and Ernest, is someone who suddenly comes into frame. Why would they have any reason to know that context? You could almost honestly have a sequel that's just about Tom yeah. White and his relationship to the FBI and have it be just as fascinating. And I think Jesse Plemons did a good job of conveying sort of the emotional history of Tom White without us needing to necessarily say it. I mean, I I think, like, let's just talk about the book a little bit before we dive in because I think it's very easy to compare. But, um, yeah, I mean, listen, as somebody who I think like anyone, like most people who pick up this book, I was naive about this. I did not know anything about the Osage and their time being the wealthiest people in the world. I did not know anything about the reign of terror and having all of it come to light at the same time that you find out about what happened to this one particular family centering it. Mm. It's such a gut punch. And he, he does it all in the first 10 pages, basically explaining all of this to you. Yeah. I think um, I read this quote by David Grant and I was like, that's fascinating. But he said, I thought I was writing a book about this singular evil figure who had been apprehended by the FBI, Grant told Smithsonian Magazine. Instead, I began to realize that this was less a story about who did it and who didn't do it. It was really about a culture of killing and a culture of complicity with many of the murders carried out by individuals who were profiting from this very corrupt system of targeting the Osage, often marrying into families and then plotting to kill them to steal their oil money and inheritance. And yeah, I think like that is the part that comes through in the book. Um, that sorry to tie it back to the movie that didn't come back that didn't really tie into the movie, where he and he even says this in like the last part where he had gone back to Oklahoma and he's like talking to all the the generations that you know from this reign of terror, and he's like, this wasn't just seven years of people being killed. It was decades and it was extending beyond this and it wasn't just like it was just Hale who got caught like 
there are so many others who died and who killed and like nobody's talking about them and they're just lost to history. Yeah, I mean, you know, like even now, because we talked about this, we didn't really talk about this, but kind of alluding to what we had talked about before, you know, now there's this whole organization of missing and murdered indigenous women. And -hmm. I think that that has done a lot, especially in the past few years, to shed a light on how much indigenous women in this country, in Canada, and just around the world are killed, raped, et cetera, every heinous thing at at such a higher rate than most other people are, especially white women. And I think Mm -hmm. like this book does a really good job of being an example of, of what came before and what is happening now. And just that it's, this is not, this story is not over. And, and even though it may look different, there are still so many consequences being suffered by native people in this country and it's just like to to see it so bluntly described on the page not being sugar coated not using any other fla- like using flowery flowery language yes but calling it as it is saying that hey these people were considered lesser than these people were taken advantage of these people were murdered in cold blood and and just really saying like and it wasn't just one guy it's everybody profited off yeah. of this and everybody is responsible for what happened to these and all of the native people in this country it's it's a really intense message and i think it's a you know we talk a lot about the books that we read on this show that should be staples in school. And I think if more people had this as required reading with, say, a people's history of the United States when they take American history, I wonder what it would do to curb people's understanding of how much Native people have been, their, like, Native culture has been destroyed in this in this country because of white oppression and white greed and not to say that it's been destroyed because there are still so many native people thriving and and continuing their culture but just how much we severely have limited that because of our need for money and land yeah well it's fascinating too that it all started because the osage were somewhere else and then the white men were like uh we can't have you here so we're gonna like shove you up to oklahoma yeah and they put them on the biggest oil field ever and they they were like oh well um whoops shoot (laughs) i guess we'll just like come on in um yeah oh our bad our bad it's just that there is a never-ending hypocrisy in america that's just like we want to be a land of Everyone being accepted and, you know, I mean, it's the age old hypocrisy of like every man is equal and, you know, every person is equal except if you are not cis, het, white, and male, you know, and if you're not, then unfortunately you're just not gonna have the same equality, you know? Yeah. So I I, I just, it's never that it's not shocking. But just when it's told in stories like this, that 
again, I mean, just good writing, you take one family and apply it to an entire country, it will speak volumes. Yes, and you speak it in such a way that you're providing just cold hard facts. And you're like, you can't deny that he was connected to X amount of murders. And you can't deny it that this woman was literally blown up in her own house. And because they're trying to get head rights and then you're poisoning the last sister by injecting her with something that you're calling insulin. It's not insulin. And it sounds like something straight out of a fictional movie. Cause you even totally, have, you even have like the fall of Usher. If anyone's seen that you have an episode where the husband is literally injecting his wife with like nightshade poison so that she will look like she had died like a natural death, even though, it's not natural at all. And so it's like you have something that's fictional and it's literally <laughs> playing out in like this real life story. And you're like, yeah, this is insane. Yeah. And yet yeah. it's all true. <laughs> and I was like, why, yeah. why haven't we heard about this? I think it's funny because it's like this book was really popular in its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly remember reading about it. I think obviously we live in a society now where it's like if something is being adapted, it's going to just inherently be more famous, unfortunately. And I did think that it was interesting in the movie that Scorsese tied it to what happened in Tulsa with the Tulsa race riots, which is also something that has in recent years become a much more um, popularized uh, historical act to talk about despite it having happened so long ago but it just was oppressed and shunned and silenced because you know it applied to black people being wiped out in a certain area where they were they were being successful and yeah. no one wanted to talk about that because it wasn't white people who were victims and I think it's just like I mean, we've talked about this before on this podcast, but but this country has a hard time coming to terms with shame. And I think that David Grant does a very good job of making us confront that and say, you're not gonna you're not gonna get away from the fact that these people were murdered and these people were taken down because you wanted money. Yeah. And that it was so easy to do it. it. It just, like, it's unfathomable how easy it was that they killed off three, or I guess two sisters in a matter of years, like a year. But what you're saying is so true. It's like, we take for granted now that any one of our movements can be tracked, be it on cameras, be it on, you know, by calling each other. We have screens in our face all the time. Our information is everywhere. The fact that William Hale was even caught and brought to justice, despite the fact that he ended up getting out and like, I don't know, was able to die outside of jail, which is an absurd thought. And, you know, I we, we can get into that. But just the fact that any kind of trial was held and he was found guilty is shocking to me. And it's particularly shocking because, and I again, I think Grand does a really good job of this, Because Hoover was a far from perfect person who was Mm -hmm. really corrupt and racist in his own right, as was, you know, Tom White and the the foundation of the Texas Rangers. So then Mm -hmm. for these men to 
to bring a white man to justice for the killing of indigenous people is kind of insane that it happened. And it's insane that it was so foundational to the creation of a organization which would then base itself on being so fundamentally racist as the FBI. Like, it's a very odd twist of events. Um, And and so then having that whole element thrown into it too, you're like, wait, I'm sorry. So not only did this happen, but then the creation of this organization came down to this one case like it, it it's so befuddling yes <clears throat> and i mean like you said um i have a little fact here so um so ernest uh hale ramsey and morrison were all sentenced to life in prison mm-hmm. um ernest hale and ramsey were all eventually pardoned um and in 1966 Ernest received a full pardon from Oklahoma. And like what? That's <laughs> baffling. And I think um like I, there's a section in the book like as the trial's going on and you have um and you have like David Grand writing about uh the kind of two sides where you have the uh Osage people and they are looking at this trial and they're like, are they going to sentence these men to death for murdering another human life, which was like common in that day? And, or are they treating it like a abuse of animals? And yeah. <clears throat> lo and behold, they treat it like an abuse of animals. Yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, that's again, I, I understand why the movie didn't, go into Tom White's backstory. But for me, the mo- one of the moments that stuck out the most was the description of Tom White's father having to be the executioner of a young black man who yeah. was accused of raping a-, a young white woman. And I think that, I mean, at least from what's described in that moment, his father did not want to do it. Mm-hmm. And Tom White kind of took a piece of that and seemingly believed that he would be a a citizen doing right for all citizens in America. And I think that in a way we were lucky that he was the person who ended up being the one on that case, because I don't think that a lot of other lawmen at the time would have felt the need to bring Hale Mm -hmm. to justice That being said, it really is just such evidence of America's warped sense of justice that Hale did get out, that they all got pardoned, that they all went on to live a a semblance of life. And, you know, Molly Burkhart never got her sisters back. Molly Burkhart lost a husband who she thought loved her. It's unfathomable what she went through um and again i i just i i wish the movie had given us more of her because i think her as a character and her as a real life person is so fascinating to have gone through so much pain and come out of it and live yeah and and find another husband and a sense of happiness despite all of it like it's it's a real testament to her strength 
Yeah. I almost feel like this, like, her story could almost be told, like, 20 years from now, 30 years Mm. from now, where you're kind of a little bit more far removed from, like, the people who knew her. Because even Margie, like, knew Molly. um, Yeah. And, or, she didn't. Did she die before? No, I think she died, because she died at 50, Molly. Yeah, she was she young, but I think her 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 dad obviously was Molly's kid knew her. Yeah, um, but just getting a little bit, because I think like this is what you almost face when you're making a movie about something that has happened pretty, in a sense, recently. Is you have a lot of voices telling you like who this person is and like what they're you know what they thought and like Mm -hmm. and how much they want to share and how much they want to like portray their loved one in a movie and how like and that's like a lot of pressure yeah to do that and to do it well and so I almost feel like in 30 years if we were able to like make a movie that centers more around Molly and around Tom White and like around their stories that would be fascinating but again, like yeah. you said, I feel like it almost has to be a completely separate movie. Yeah, I guess the question, and I'm I'm interested in Margie wanting it to be about them because for me, I guess the question is, is how factual you want something to be. And obviously mm-hmm. with a movie, emotion runs so much more important than facts do. But I think what the kind of beautiful thing in a dark way about the book is is you are not sure Ernest's part of Ernest's knowledge. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't think that there's any part of the book that makes me go, oh, he definitely loved Molly. Like, there's just not. There's nothing for me, at least in the book, to suggest this person did not maybe marry her with the purpose of all of this happening. Maybe he had some sense of warped love for her, but the movie makes it seem like this these people actually fell in love, kind of at the suggestion of Hale, but also of their own volition. And then he was dumb, and so he just went along with it. But yeah. I think it's kind of giving him more credit than he deserves. It's like... Oh, yeah. Did this person actually love this woman? We're never gonna know that. And so the only reason why I wish that we had gotten more of the perspective of Molly is we as the viewer should not ever feel like, oh, he absolutely loved her and like we should have some sympathy because he just, you know, he really was trying, but he also had to please Hale. Like, no, absolutely not. If he had, if no. he had had any sense of actual love for this person, he never would have let any of this happen. Happen. Mm-hmm. Arguably, he could have tried to kill Hale. So mm-hmm. it's like, I think that Ernest is not held to the set to the accountability that David Grant holds him to in the book, in the movie. I think that he gets off a little too easily in the movie, and I and also. The other main issue I had was the movie ends on this point of a radio show sort of like going through what ended up happening to the characters. And I get the point because it's like, you know, media and how how stories get told and narrative and all that jazz. But we miss out on Hale getting caught. We miss out yeah. on any sense of this person being found guilty 
And maybe that was on purpose, but I just walked away feeling like, okay, why did Hale and Ernest Burkhart, the two most despicable people in the book, end up coming off not with a lot of deep analysis here? I think in the book even, they talk about like how Molly would show up to the uh to like court and she'd be shunned by the Osage because she was still supporting Ernest but she'd be shunned by the white people because she was Osage and so it's like she didn't really have a side and then you I like wish we would have known what happened (laughs) between her supporting Ernest and then what happened in between then and like when she remarried and then went about her life um because i think it's a lot more complicated than them just meeting in a field and her asking him like did you do this did you do this did you do this and then having him not admit to poisoning her yeah and um because i agree i think you have I think the last chapter or like the last part of the book adds so much value to the story as a whole because you see that Cowboy, his son, couldn't even look him in the eye and he got his ashes and he was like, fuck this and like throws it like throws it off a bridge somewhere when he had specifically asked for his ashes to be spread like amongst the hills of the Osage. But he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, And then you have like the grandchildren that have been so affected by the stories of their family um, that like they're still, you know, telling these stories and they're still getting fed these stories. And I think you really miss out on that. Like you were saying on that, like the bad guy did get caught, but it really wasn't brought to justice. And you have like, you have all these murders that keep happening and all the murders that happened before that. And so I think it it ends it in such like a nice little way. And you get to know what happens to each character, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like you get to see it in a, in a way that it's tied up with a little bow. But I think in the book, like you said, David Grant holds these characters much more accountable. And it's like, no, they like really fucked up the generations behind them like in a way that you can't understand and i think you see that like with tragedies like this and again i'll get to it in pairings but like even with the texas rangers and the families that they affected and like the killings that they did uh it affects generations after generations after generations and like you don't really get that in in the movie which i know it's really hard to portray that uh and this movie is three and a half hours and so you can't really add anything into it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. I I understand like where you're coming from, where it's like the love story does make him out to be like a little more forgiven than when you read the book and you're like, there's no way he didn't know what was good. Like they admitted that like he and Hale had kind of, conspired against him getting together with molly in the book and you don't really get that in the movie and so it's like there was always something hidden with Ernest's intentions even if he like ended up falling in love with molly along the way yeah 
And I mean, you get a little bit of that, but you don't get enough. And I think that, like you're saying, like the movie really ends on this one shot of the Osage today dancing in this like huge panoramic shot overhead. Mm-hmm. And the book ends with Gran going through historical records of the Osage and finding so many other examples of murders like that. Murders where, I mean, we haven't really said it, but like white guardians were able to marry Osage or somehow command Osage to the point where they were put in charge of Osage money because Osage people were not considered... uh, what's the word um like false citizens really yeah sane enough basically they they weren't considered full people basically so it was they didn't often have their own money access to their own money without having to go through a guardian but i just think that by by saying essentially what scorsese's last shot says is the osage live on despite the fact that this this horrible thing has happened their people are strong and they continue and that's totally true but what grand's narrative ends on by showing all these similar killings that happened both before and after hale got caught is saying yes the osage have continued but it does not mean that white greed hasn't also continued with that. And I think that that's a really crucial addendum. You Mm -hmm. cannot have one without the other. You cannot say, oh, the Osage people are strong today without also saying that Native people are still constantly under oppressive attack by the way that America works. So, I I mean, I get scorsese's ending i just wish that there was more like we keep saying accountability in his narrative and i think that it was smart to have hale be the villain from the beginning because that way you didn't have to incorporate a mystery into it but you can't make Hale the villain from the beginning and then also not give us the payoff. I read some reviews too today that were like, Scorsese did a good job because he kind of stayed a little distant from the Osage people in the sense of like, he didn't want to tell a narrative that he didn't know. Yeah. Um, And he didn't want to like overwrite what their experiences were by adding too much detail into their side of the story because he didn't know it. Um, And so you have, you're like, I get that. (laughs) But at the same time, why make the movie? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I do want more from Molly, from, like, the kids even. Like, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, I I read this, like, one quote from uh, Manola Dargis from the New York Times. She wrote a a review of the movie, and she said, The history of the Osage emerged elliptically throughout the movie in different narrative forms, including Hale's description of the Osage via an illustrated book, during a tribal meeting, and on a radio program. Each a reminder that history belongs to those who tell it. It's a good point. Fuck. (laughs) It's a really good point. And it's not, I don't think it's lost on anyone that a white man wrote the book and a white man directed the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that is 
kind of ironic considering the storyline. Like, we are still in a world where these kinds of stories can now be popular, but they're still controlled by the white men who act as the oppressors in those stories. So it's this really weird twist where it's like, okay, this story definitely needed to be told, not necessarily by you, but then because of how it was told by you, it's become popular. So what, you know, there's good and bad in that. And you kind of have to just sit with it. And I don't think that there's necessarily an answer to that, but it is just a plain fact that, you know, it would be interesting if, say, Margie Burkhart had written this book. She just didn't. You know what I mean? So it's like, it is also a question of what David Grant and Martin Scorsese's sort of function is in these roles as the prime storytellers of something that is not their story. Well, it's fascinating you mentioned that because I literally just listen i keep bringing this up but i'm swear it's going to come into play with okay. the pairings this podcast that i listened to it was talking about is it the texas monthly texas rangers podcast yeah it is yeah it is. Yeah, yeah it is okay yeah, go on is. uh but they talk about in an episode where uh they have this mass massacre of these uh mexican americans that just like absolutely like by the texas rangers apparently allegedly um and factually <laughs> factually but they have uh they have the account of the story and they have the like report of the story from a white man who had married into this family and like they had the account by him and so it was it, like you know is it bad that it was the white man who told the story and who came out with the, like, who came out with the story and he is telling the story. And it's like, no, but it is to be acknowledged and it is yes. to, like, notice it, acknowledge it. And it's, it's saying that had a white man not told that story, it probably wouldn't have been as widely listened to. But it doesn't mean that that person should be who's telling that story. It just means that people take white men more seriously than anyone in this country. For I'm so excited we're going to talk about white hats. I love white hats. But <laughs> <laughs> side note. But um, side note. And again, also like going back to Tom White's story, as somebody who was a Texas Ranger, you know, how odd for it to be this person with such duality to come from such a racist organization that was responsible for so much death and destruction of non-white peoples to then suddenly pose yourself as like a hero of indigenous people in this country is a real 360. And you have to wonder too, like what was Hoover thinking in all of this? Because, you know, this is the man who so many years later would be responsible for you know, wiretapping black activists and, like, arguably being part of the conspiracy to kill many of those people. It's like, you know, who was this guy who clearly saw PR in the exploitation of Native deaths and the, yeah. and how, how the solution of those deaths could benefit him? It's like, even even in solving the case, it didn't mean that this man didn't have another motive of also 
being equally profiting off of that. Yeah. So it's like there's yeah. no there's no person here who walked out of it doing it for their own altruism, you know? Yeah. No, it's true. And and then yet we're left with this trial that put a few guys in jail but didn't really do much. And no. Inland, it was pretty much forgotten to history until David Grand started digging it back up. It just, it made me think of, because we read a book earlier this year. Oh my God, why am I forgetting Stephen Graham Jones's book, the book that we read about? Oh, the, uh, the Only Good Indians. Yeah, The Only Good Indians. And in that, we talked about how, like, the death in it is so trivial, like, it's particularly of the women. And and we honestly, like, made a joke about it, how, like, in the end, you just see a bunch of these women killed really, really violently and nothing really comes of it. And then all of it ends up being about, like, what the men have to deal with and, like, the trauma that the men are facing. And it just made me tie it back to this book because it's, like, in this book, not that just the women die. I mean, a lot of Native people die in this book, but it kind of like hail and everybody else's cavalierness towards those deaths in the town made me think about it because it really is just a constant even in today where you see people dying or going missing or being raped or injured in any way at such a high rate and it's despite so many people trying to speak up about it it doesn't it doesn't make an indent and you just have to wonder why people have to fight so hard to just be acknowledged and then the double layer of that is so in order for us to be you know in order for indigenous people to be acknowledged and and their pain to be acknowledged that has to come also with some sort of benefit for media or some sort of benefit for government like it yeah. will only it will only get paid attention to if the white men in charge also get kind of some kind of payout. It's this double-edged sort of like I'm so glad that the story is being told. I'm glad that it's addressing something that's still ongoing. But despite that, I want so much more for us as a country to have this story start being told by the people who are directly involved in it as opposed to these outside parties who have the power to get these things made. All I have to say is, like, no matter what, I'm glad this story got told and I'm glad mm -hmm. that we're here talking about it and we're here being able to, like, talk about it in the context of it being a huge pop culture moment because I think no matter what, at least it's being talked about in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back to Marlon Brando won the Oscar for The Godfather, and he had Sasheen Littlefeather claim his Oscar in the name of indigenous rights. And she got booed off the stage because people didn't think that the Oscars was a place for activism and, you know, who cared? And now we're in a moment where Lily Gladstone will likely be nominated and probably win an Academy Award for Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm -hmm. And so that has to mark some kind of progress, however minimal. 
So yeah. it, it is it is an interesting time for this to be happening. And I think you're right in the sense that like we should always be pushing for the people central to these stories to be making and popularizing these stories and to be listening to those people. That being said, I am thrilled that this is getting attention and that this book has is having an even more success and hopefully it will point towards you know it being a a school prevalent book and this movie maybe being something that's required watching and learning more about things like Tulsa like these things are happening I hope and I think the next step is just getting them away from the Scorseses of the world and getting them more spotlighted and driven by people we don't know, and especially non-white, non-men who we don't know yet. I think we should do because it's adaptation because it's adaptation month. I think that we should do final ratings of the book and the movie. All right, well, let's start with the book, because uh, I think we have a similar vibe on this. So I think this is, I mean, five out of five. It's so well told. It's so well researched. It tells a lot of a lot of sides of this story um, in a very good way. You have, you have the FBI story. You have Molly's story. You have Ernest and Hale's story. You have Morrison's story. We didn't even touch on, but God, he's the worst. Um, worst person like, ever award. He's like, what if I marry and then kill the children and then yeah. kill the wife? Would I get head rights? And they were like, well, theoretically, yes, but why? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, and I think you <laughs> you get like the generational story. You get You just get a lot of context that I think like we had mentioned before that you miss a little bit in the movie, but it, if you, if you saw the movie and you were like, Whoa, this is a crazy story. I'd love to learn more. Go read the book. Cause I think it just yeah. builds on what was already there. And you learn a lot, um, a lot about this and the context behind it and how everything came to fruition and how um, Hale actually ended up being caught. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. I also give it a five out of five. Jenna and I famously love a journalism book. And <laughs> this this is a well-researched book, to say the least. And yeah, I, you know, I picked it up. I didn't even say this, but I picked it up two years ago. My friend was getting a tattoo and I was killing time walking around Glasgow. And I stumbled into the Glasgow Museum of Art and they had a library downstairs. And I started reading it and I got like 50 pages in. And I was like, I need to read this book. And I never had the opportunity to until now. And I'm so glad that I finally finished it. And it just is one of the most expertly researched, expertly written books I've ever read. And more importantly than that, I think it just is following a recent and very needed trend of uncovering stories in America, non-white stories in America that um, have maybe been buried and making them visible again and making them talked about again. And I just am so thrilled to have read it and thrilled that it's getting the attention it's getting. Yeah. Amen. Um, movie. Here we go. Go for it. <laughs> I I really liked it. 
Um, I will give it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, I think it told the story really well. I think it complicated Ernest's character, um, but I do think it it leaned toward the side of really sympathizing with him, which I, like you said, and like I've read in many reviews, like, I don't know if that's warranted. Um, mm-hmm. And I, like, after reading that, like, Margie was such a big part in it, I understand um, why that this love story was so centralized. But I do think, like, um, a little bit more of Molly and kind of getting what she was feeling um, would have been fascinating. But other than that, like, I think it really, it followed the book really well. It incorporated all the necessary characters. It, everyone looked so much like the character they were portraying. It was insane. (laughs) Like, I saw the photo of Blackie in the book and I was like, oh my God, that's (laughs) the same guy. That is the same guy. Um, And so, like, they did a great job at casting. Whoever the casting director is, like, props. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think, like, the prop... the props, the setting, the clothing, the even down to like the film, um, uh, the film filter. I think just like everything made it like a beautifully made movie, and I think it was fascinating. It, it was three and a half hours. It did not feel three and a half hours long. It moved really quickly. Um, so I just think it's an entertaining movie. And if you go to see it and you're like, I really like that story, and I really want more, I think reading the book is your best bet because that's what I did. Yeah. Um, I am going to go four out of five. I thought, like you're saying, I the, the setting was insane. Like the accuracy of costumes. I saw a whole article on the wedding outfits alone. Like it was expertly art directed to an insane degree. Um, and I also think that it was really well acted. And I think that all of those people just so embodied those characters, particularly Lily Gladstone. I cannot wait to see what happens to Lily Gladstone's career after this. Um, But yeah, I was just disappointed that we chose to go the Ernest Hale, like messed up protagonist direction, then to center the story on, uh, oh my God, I keep wanting to call her Lily, on... Molly. Am I? Molly. Jesus. It was like Lily, <laughs> <Okay>. Maggie. No. <laughs> On Molly. Um, and I, yeah, that was my one big issue. And I think that I, I wish that I had seen more of Molly's inner character and a little bit more of Tom White and the dynamics of those two uh, as opposed to so much of Ernest and Hale. Um, I think that, it again, like I said earlier, I think it was smart to have Hale be known as guilty from the beginning and kind of like unfurl how all of that happened. But I just would have liked to see more of what is demonstrated in the book of showing that this was a, a, an epidemic that didn't, wasn't just limited to hail and how that has played out into even now. Yeah. um, With other native peoples throughout the country. So I I loved the movie. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was really well acted. I you know, it's smart and Scorsese. How bad can it be? It's, you know, really beautiful. And I actually really liked the radio ending. I just think that had it focused a little bit less on their relationship dynamic, Molly and Ernest, and more on Molly and the deaths themselves, 
I would have been a little bit happier. I also just want to shout out to Tatanka to Means, who plays um, the agent, the uh, federal agent who is um, a native person who infiltrates the Osage. Just yeah. a hot guy. Just a really hot guy. <laughs> and it has to be, it has to be acknowledged. I was just like, every time he came on screen, I was like, okay, so you're oh. hot. <laughs> I mean, really good actor, but I was just like, damn, son, like, you're cute as hell. So that also had to be said. Yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast, give Ella a call. Yeah. Tatanka, hey. (laughs) Um, Well, let's get into our pairings. Let's Uh, do it. So cocktails, uh, TV show, books, and movies that might pair well with today's um pie or today's book i mean we know our movie our movie is killers of the flower moon (laughs) i had another movie did you really what was your other movie my other movie was oppenheimer oh okay do tell (laughs) uh because one they were very similar in length (laughs) but (laughs) and color palette (laughs) and color palette um yes but also i think it tells the weird story of like it's a biopic about someone and you're trying to tell this story of someone who created a weapon that killed many a lot of many many people and yet he was like held as this great inventor this great scientist which he was a great scientist and a great inventor but like what the fuck also ironically (laughs) displaced a lot of native people to uh make that bomb so (laughs) really ties in (laughs) but anyways just that weird dichotomy of like we're telling a story of something that happened and you're starting to see the kind of like ugly side of it which i think is like what's happening here is you're you're telling the story of the Native Americans and it's not so like romanticized as we've had in our textbooks. Um, and so I think like that similar story of like, we're telling the story that may have been told many times before, but it's a different lens. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that, yeah. that was what I picked just to throw a throw a little wrench in things. <laughs> I like it. God, I could really talk about Kelly and Murphy right now. I've had a real Kelly and Murphy assance in my own brain mm. recently. It's been it's been a journey. Um well, yeah. we really don't have to talk about that on this episode at all. Um okay. That'll be coming up. <laughs> uh, next. Uh, drink. Well, I'm going to go with what I was drinking, moonshine cuz nice. uh, there's a lot of moonshine in this. I'm going whiskey cuz like they drink a lot of whiskey despite the fact that it's prohibition they always have a stash of good whiskey in this and it makes me i have this quandary with everything i so dislike the taste of whiskey and then i watch the i watch movies like this and i'm like oh i'm gonna be a whiskey person like i'm just gonna sip whiskey out of a crystal glass and then i take one sip and i'm like Ugh, gross. <laughs> so I just cannot be cool is the mm. point. I cannot hang with Molly. Mm, see, I'm a big whiskey person. So. Yeah. Whiskey, bourbon, anything. Give it I'm to just me. not that cool, but I really <laughs> wish I was. Um. Well, it's okay. I mean, Thanks. most of what they're drinking is probably iced tea, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. True. True, 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 yeah. true. Um, uh, what's TV next? show. TV show. I went with Top of the Lake. 
um, which if you have not seen is a two season show by um, by sorry I'm pulling out my book uh, which if you have not seen Top of the Lake is a two season show by Jane Campion shout out uh, New Zealand's own Jane Campion and it's basically about Elizabeth Moss doing listen guys She's not perfect. She cannot do an amazing – I can't even remember if she's Australian or New Zealand in this show. She's trying her best, okay? Like, <laughs> she's trying her best. But the show itself is about – Elizabeth Moss plays this detective who in the first season is dis, um, is investigating the disappearance of this 12-year-old girl, Tui, and in the second season is uh, investigating the death of this other woman. But they're both uh, – non-white women and they both are sort of treated very lacklusterly and Elizabeth Moss kind of ends up like being the only one who gives a shit and kind of like looking into their disappearances and uh, it's just an interesting investigation into how the world treats women and specifically non-white women and uh, yeah what what happens when those people are forgotten and either killed or injured and you know who who is held to blame and it's very very good and i really really like it nice ah well um it's new zealand is what i researched yeah yeah it is new so. zealand i just didn't know whether elizabeth moss's character was australian or kiwi well, but either way it's not giving what it needs to be so <laughs> if you can get past you. <laughs> you can get past that I want to do a compilation of how many Elizabeth Moss, uh, like, pairings you have. (laughs) God, I know. Because, like, (laughs) let me say something. Despite the fact that she is a Scientologist, God, the girl can act. You know? And it's just, like, it's really, it's annoying to me because I wish I liked her less than I do. But every time (laughs) I see her, I'm like, (laughs) slay, queen. (laughs) Yes. Like, it's not good. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's funny. Um, mine is a four-part mini-series on Netflix nice. called When They See Us, um, about the wrongful convictions of five kids for brutally assaulting and raping a white woman who was jogging in New York Central Park in 1989, um, and they were all wrongfully convicted, uh, due to terrible detective work and, uh, the corrupt police and, uh, justice system. Can I say no, why not? <laughs> but they were um, exonerated in 2002. So and directed by Ava DuVernay. Um, uh, she has directed Selma, Wrinkle in Time, 13th. She's uh, So she's telling a lot of these uh, so-called forgotten stories um, from a different perspective. So I um, this is a side note, but. A few years ago, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll hosted the American Independent Spirit Awards, and they did a bit with Ava DuVernay and Sha- and Timothy Chalamet where they were they were doing a bit on Drag Race. They were like, "Yeah, all I want to say to them is is DuVernay, you stay, Chalamet, sashay away." <laughs> and every time I hear her last name, that's all I think of now. <laughs> DuVernay, you stay, Chalamet, sashay away. Um, oh books well uh we've mentioned it many a time um and i have linked to it uh linked to our episode uh where we dive into it which is under the banner heaven by john krakauer oh my god i almost did that i'm really glad i didn't because i was like jenna's gonna do it yeah i did it 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a nonfiction story written by a really good nonfiction writer. Um, that was a book I did not finish because it was a little too hard of a topic to read. Hashtag disturbing. Very disturbing. So, um, but they have recently made it into a Hulu TV show, which I still have not watched. Um, but um, I actually have the same issue with the TV show that I have with the movie Killers of the Flower Moon, which is that often we rely on emotion in film and television when it would actually be more effective to use fact and i feel that the show does not do that enough Mm. but it is a great book but mormon country uh abusive women just yeah yeah i would say not for the faint of heart that episode or that book but yeah um my book i thought was a good example of the case of indigenous women and non-white women getting to be as popular as white male authors. I am talking, of course, about Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Kimmerer? Kimmerer, I want to say. Um, but she is a Native American author and Braiding Sweetgrass has had a real renaissance in the past few years. It's a book that basically just dives into indigenous knowledge and just uh indigenous traditions being very different to western approaches and uh just in it dives a lot into indigenous history in america and it's a great book and um i was gifted it for my birthday a couple of years ago it's a book that a lot of my friends have gotten for like graduation or things like that but it's Mm -hmm definitely a book that I would say has found similar if not even more claim than Killers of the Flower Moon and uh it's really really good and go Robin so yeah yeah. I would say that that is that is the case of someone who the the rare not white man getting a chance in the equal sun it's wonderful to see (laughs) (laughs) oh love it well um and then I, I had, we had mentioned it earlier in the episode, but a special pairing goes out to White Hats, which is a Texas monthly podcast. Yes! Deep diving the history of the Texas Rangers and their relationship with the Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, which, uh, spoiler alert, was not as bad. It <laughs> uh, resulted in a lot of killing and a lot of murdering. Yeah. Um, yeah, Just needlessly and blaming it on them being aggressive and they were not aggressive. Um, yeah, these rangers yeah. just came in, guns a blazing. I actually listened to White Hats on the end of my trip where I visited you. At the end oh. of that trip, when I was like, "Oh, I think I am going to move to Austin," I started listening to all the Texas Monthly podcasts, and I listened to White Hats. And I, I think I don't know about you, but like I did not because we didn't grow up in Texas. I just didn't know that much about the Texas Rangers at no. all. So I didn't even know them as like a mythical, amazing force, like as they're known as in Texas. I didn't know anything about them. So yeah. it was really interesting to like learn about the myth at the same time this myth was being broken down. It's just yeah, such a I good mean, show. I yeah, I grew up in Colorado. In my uh, in like one of my neighbors growing up was her dad was really into westerns, and so we would be watching a lot of westerns. So like that was like my background of the Texas Rangers was like the western of you know John Wayne running in and his on his horse with his big old Stetson and 
like doing whatever. But um, I will say if uh, if Killers of the Flower Moon is your speed and like you maybe don't want to listen to an entire uh, season, um, episode two of this episode or of this podcast series really dives into the relationship between the Texas Rangers and the Comanche people. And that's a fascinating episode um, and especially about the history being told through different points of view um mm. and what that may look like but there you go there she blows <laughs> Oof! a clean no. one hour 20 minutes <laughs> it was worth it though i mean it had yeah. to be done it simply had to be done well well that's it for the year for the 2023 season 2023 um, don't worry guys we'll be back in better than ever in 2024 when we do part yeah, we two will. of killers of the flower moon <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> stay tuned um but we will be back with many more books with many more conversations and it's going to be better bigger everything yeah um but what a way to end the year i will say what a way to end the year <laughs> Um, I mean, also, like, just if you've stuck with us, thank you. Jenna got married. I moved to Austin. (laughs) I got a new job. Jenna got a new job. Like, Abby got a new job. Abby got got a new job. job. (laughs) Rebecca got a new job. We've had some change this year at Red Wine (laughs) Reads, so thank you for sticking with it. Yep. Um, And we really appreciate all the listeners uh, who found us now, who found us a year ago. Uh, But we will be back next year so please 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 stay tuned Um, we love you you all we love you all and cheers cheers well that's the show thanks so much for listening if you liked it please go give it five stars on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this episode right now if you want more book related content you can find us on instagram and tiktok at rw reads podcast again that's at rw r-e-a-d-s p-o-d-c-a-s-t that's at rw reads podcast on instagram and tiktok until next week keep your books open and your drink glasses full thanks all This episode is a JB Media production produced and edited by Jenna Weston.